0: Welcome to Be Customer Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill (laughs) Stakos.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I've got a really, really interesting guest for you all today, Rich Botto, his friends call him RB. He's the founder and CEO of a really interesting online platform called Stage32. We're going to get into that in just a second. We're going to talk about not only his journey and his experience starting this company, but also, you know, developing the community or member experience as well. Rich, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you on B Customer Lab.
0: Thank you for having me. Big fan of the show and, and everything that you do for the uh, community.
1: That's so kind. That's so kind of you. So hey, Rich, as our first question for every guest is, tell us a little bit about your journey and your background and some of the differentiating factors that really led you to become a business founder and you've got this really interesting background, right? Like you, you started a publication a while back. And you've got this great background in media. And then you started Stage 32. So kind of walk us through that and just your journey. Go back as far as you like as well.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, I think I was blessed in a lot of ways to have – it really goes back to my grandparents in a lot of ways. My grandparents were uh, both sets, Italian immigrants, you know, came over and made very different lives for themselves. My father's father worked with his hands – he was an electrician, a carpenter, a blue collar, just an, an unbelievable human being. But whatever it took to get it done, a hard worker and supporting the family. And my mother's father became a higher up at General Motors. So I got to kind of see both ends of the spectrum. I was yeah. going to the DM building as a kid, going to the top floor, looking out over Manhattan and then going on jobs with my father's father where he was fixing a door, laying down a carpet or helping somebody out in some way, roofing and whatever. And so I got to see both ends of that. And I just admired the hell out of them. They're my heroes. They really are to this day. And then my father, same thing. He started out sort of in the corporate world. He became a pharmacist, went from getting that pharmacy degree to working in pharmaceutical advertising for a very, very big corporation in Manhattan and worked his way up through the ranks. And then one day just decided that he wanted to do it for himself. And so him and three of the other... People that worked at the company went out and started a boutique advertising firm right in the middle of Athens, 7th Avenue and 34th, right by Madison Square Garden. And they were able to take this little boutique firm into one time, it was one of the top 100 New York Times privately held companies Wow! and, and was able to compete against the whole company that he worked with with gigantic accounts like you know, Johnson & Johnson accounts, Tylenol and everything like that. So I got to see all ends of it, the entrepreneurial spirit and everything. And the entrepreneurial spirit of it all was something that really grew inside of me. I had jobs and I worked for people and I worked my ass off, but I always felt like I wanted to do something on my own. And then kind of butting up against that was I had a very creative streak. I was a writer, I did some acting, and which is very, a lot of people don't realize this, The people that watch films, but being a creative is is a very entrepreneurial pursuit even though it looks like all these people come together to create a project, you're really, you do a lot of work in isolation, yeah. right? Or write in isolation. The director plans the film in isolation. Actors learn their lines in isolation sometimes. And even when actors are done with a role, they have to go and market themselves to the next one, right? So these two parallel lines in a lot of ways converged. And I launched the magazine called Razor Magazine, about 15 years ago, and it was a men's lifestyle magazine that competed against GQ and Esquire. And at that time, we used to say that it was the magazine when you were done with your maximum years, but not ready for your Esquire years. So it was a very upscale, sort of the way GQ was back in its heyday. Yeah. And we were a single title publisher, which was very entrepreneurial and competing against the the Hearst and the Condé Nast of this world. And we out, routinely outsold GQ and Esquire wow. and Esquire. The only problem that we ran into was timing, really. We were at a time where everything was starting, not when we started, but over time, everything was digital. And we were ahead of the curve on that, having a digital component. But for a single title publisher with print in that era, there, was, there wasn't much room for it to really explode. Even though, literally, our last five issues, everyone else sold the one before. We, when we shut it down, it had the highest membership that we had ever had we were profitable but it wasn't there was no way to get to the next level and nobody was going to buy us because print was dying now the good that came out of that besides all the experience was that i got to meet a lot of people in the entertainment industry and having come from a writing and acting background and being fascinated by the business of film from when i was a little kid this allowed me to meet a lot of people in the industry and get sort of a masterclass on how the business the industry runs mm-hmm. And that, by virtue of that, led me to starting Stage 32, becoming a producer, becoming an actor, becoming a screenwriter, and then having the idea to start Stage 32, which for people who are listening and don't know what it is, it's the world's largest platform for connecting and educating film, television, and digital creatives and professionals across the globe. So it's the biggest social media and e-learning platform for the entertainment industry anywhere in the world.
1: I think that's an incredible story, man. So you started Stage 32 11 plus years ago, almost, right? About 11 years ago or so. What was the genesis for starting the platform? I mean, and you've got hundreds of thousands of members as well. And I want to get into that and how you think about and manage the experience around that. But like, one, I got to know, like, how did you think, what does the name mean? Like, I've been racking my brain, like, what is Stage 32? And how did you come up with it? But like, what was the genesis for you starting that business, say, hey, there's a need here to bring creatives together around this. And man, that was really ahead of its time too. I mean, think about what was going on 11 years ago, right? Like <laughs> we barely had, we didn't even have like these things in our pocket essentially, or just barely. So tell us a little bit about the name, how you came up with it, but also sort of the genesis for the business and why you started it.
0: Sure. Well, the name, well, I'll use the, I'll save the name for last because it kind of flows into the whole story. But yeah. the The genesis really came from the fact that I have a little bit of a tech background as well. I worked for a bunch of tech companies, owned a few of them, sold a few of them, and while Razor was going on before it, right during that time. So, one thing I learned in the tech world is if something hits on a mass scale, it usually funnels down to a niche level. So, Mm. seeing Facebook explode, Twitter was just coming on the scene more or less and starting to get some traction. This is pre Instagram. What I saw was that. I understood why people were on Facebook, but people in my industry, people in the entertainment industry, when I asked them what they were getting out of Facebook, if they were on it, they would say, yeah, I'm on it, but I'm not getting any business off of it. And what I came to learn was that basically Facebook is you're sharing your babies, your pets, your salads, your whatever, right? But are you really getting any business done? So my idea was understanding that things funneled down to niche. I believe that broad-based social media platforms were eventually going to Filtered down to niche and more concentrated social network platforms or social media platforms, and I felt like there needed to be one for the entertainment industry. And I had this idea probably about 2008, and I knew it was going to be a monster to build, so I kept talking myself out of doing it. And then I was producing a film called Another Happy Day, which was directed by Barry written and directed by Barry Levinson's son Sam Levinson, and it was a great cast. It was an independent film, a couple million dollars, but it had. Ellen Barkin, who also produced, Demi Moore, Thomas Aiden Church, Ezra Miller, George Kennedy in his last role, Kate Bosworth. So really, you know, great cast. And we were filming in the middle of nowhere in Michigan because that's where the tax incentives were. We were all staying in a Hilton. There was no star egos and everything like that. And when you do that, everybody comes together. It's like summer camp. Everybody can't wait to be together. But then when it's over, it's the type of thing where everybody goes, we're going to be together forever. And we're going to stay together. We're going to talk to each other forever. And then, of course, you go home and nobody talks to each other until somebody needs something. And in this particular instance, it was the tax incentives in Michigan dried up and all these people that had so much work that they didn't know what to do with now suddenly had no work. And they were coming to me in L.A. and saying, can you connect me to can you connect me to can you connect me to and my pushback was this is a tribal business. And a lot of people want to work with known entities and we need to help you build relationships. I can vouch champions or everything in this business, but we need to get you a community. And that's where I finally sat there and said, okay, if you don't live in a hub for entertainment, if you're not in New York, L.A. or London these days, Georgia or something like that, how do you build your network and how do you make connections that matter? And that's stage 32. And that's when I finally convinced myself to do it. And. We'll talk about how we built the community and everything like that's what really convinced me to do it and to say that this is necessary. And then the other part of it was I definitely had the vision that this global entertainment business was going to become consolidated and that you weren't going to have to live in L.A., that these streaming companies would eventually have to create their own content because there's only so many libraries you can buy. okay. and I just thought it would happen quicker. It took a little bit longer to get there. It took until like 18, 19 until there was a huge spend commitment by these platforms to to do this. But I felt like it needed to be this. That was the impetus was to say, okay, we need to connect them. We need to educate them. And we need to create a marketplace to connect content creator with content maker. And that was the whole impetus for stage 32. And then the name very quickly comes from, I'm a big Orson Wells fan And throughout history, Orson Welles has become pretty maligned. I mean, people look at him like he was a dictator. The reality of the situation was if you read anything about Welles, he was the ultimate collaborator. And this business is all about collaboration. So stage 32 comes from the fact that Citizen Kane was filmed on the old RKO 17 lot, on the RKO studio lot, stage 17, which today is Paramount Stage thirty two. So if you go to stage if you go to Paramount on a tour and you go to stage thirty two, you will see a plaque in front of the stage that tells you that Citizen Kane was there.
1: What a cool story. Oh man, that's such a cool story. So by the way, like I was just, just while you were talking, I had to Google when was LinkedIn created in two thousand two. So you were yeah. even like a year ahead of LinkedIn thinking about how social media platforms are going to become more niche. And then, you know, you start stage 32 a year later as Reed starts uh, LinkedIn, but like you're really focused on this community. What has been the most rewarding part of that journey for you? And maybe even what's the most challenging part too, right? Uh, There's probably a lot of folks who are listening who want to go start their own thing. How have those maybe challenges or even successes even evolved for you? A little bit over the last 11 years or so.
0: Well, we knew the biggest challenge for sure was going to be convincing the entertainment industry that this was a necessary tool Mm -hmm. and that we were worthy of running it because the entertainment industry is a dinosaur. So the reason why Netflix is disrupting things so much is because Netflix is not an entertainment company. They're a tech company and it scares the shit out of Hollywood. And now they're starting to adjust to it. It really does. It scares the hell out. Now they have no choice but to accept it. And now they're all adapting. You're 17 laps behind now. And now you're gunning the gas, right? We knew that this would happen. We needed to convince Hollywood that this was a place where they could send people to be trained, where they needed to be on to make the proper connections, and where they could come to find the best content and shorten their path to finding content. So that by far was our biggest challenge on sort of a macro level. On a micro level, of course, it's how do you build the community? How do you get people to see that it's worthy? So one of the first moves that I made early on, I I wrote down, I, when kind of planning the entire thing, I wrote down like five or six, just things I was unmovable on that these were the things that had to happen. One was that you had to stand in front of your own name. You couldn't be Joe one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Two was that I was going to stand out in front of the platform and make it very, very clear that I wasn't just some tech CEO that came up with this idea and I'm up in the ivory tower, which is basically that I am just like you. I am scratching and clawing and fighting every day. And three, that we were going to lean on empathy because we need to in life, but I mean, of course, I mean, I I hope that's understood. But I mean, in this business, especially, this is a business of rejection. This is a business of, you no know, artists in general, when you're dealing with people who are not artists in general, face more scrutiny because people that aren't artist don't understand why do you suffer for it? Why do you, I mean, I think that's so dramatic. I mean, when I mean suffer, I mean not getting paid, putting in all this time, putting in one step forward, 10 steps back and feeling beaten down all the time. So we really leaned into the empathy of the idea that we're all in this together. And we understand the struggle together and we're going to go through this together. And oh, by the way, if we build this community together, then it will be a rising tide lifts for a boat situation because we're going to take each other with us because, again, it's a tribal business. So if we spend our time communicating, building our tribes, building our relationships, if we spend our time educating ourselves and certainly spend our time honing our craft, And then I'm able to create and with my team now, of course, be able to create a marketplace where if you've done these things, now you have direct access to decision makers. We will shorten the path to success. Those rejections will become less. The negative feelings will become less. And even when you do get a no, you will have a safety net of support to lift you up and to hold you and protect you and to make you say, hey, I get it. I've been there and it's going to get better, and don't worry about it, and we'll keep going forward. So I think those were the challenges, and I'm very, when you say what's been the most rewarding part of that, for me, it's the fact that we were able, we accepted those challenges, and we conquered them. We are now you know, partners with Netflix. We're partners with the American Film Market. We're partners with Can. We're the education partner for all these platforms. We're educating the world for Netflix. They have hired us to do that. That's amazing to us, and the fact that we've been able to build this community from literally a hundred people that I invited on day one to over nine hundred thousand people today and have done most of it via word of mouth and by via people inviting other people is i mean you can't get any more rewarding than that
1: look i I've, I've tried to start a community around customer experience myself it's really incredibly hard work like I give you so much credit you and your and the team and the folks that you've worked with. When you think about sort of those early days, getting a hundred people on the platform, and evolving, and now bringing sort of these monster organizations as partners, what do you think some of the bigger factors for success were in building that community and creating an experience around that? So people felt like, one, stage thirty-two is a platform that can help me right get faster to that decision maker or bring together talent or resources. What were some of those big factors for you where people like you started to see kind of the growth curve of the community really building? Like where did that kind of click the most or where did that switch happen for for you guys?
0: Probably with the first few success stories that we had where you're always looking, a community that's skeptical. Okay. And I think that a lot of communities are, but certainly in the entertainment business, if you've been in this business for more than five minutes, when you come in for the first five minutes, you're filled with optimism and have no cynicism or pessimism at all and then you're in it for five minutes and then it all goes the other way and so if you're in it more one to five minutes you, you kind of get cynical and you get pessimistic so what was monumentally important to me was that the first piece of communication that you got when you came onto the site the first communication we received was me saying to you what we talked about a little bit earlier that i'm just like you i'm scratching the coin just like you if we do this together if you help me build this community we will succeed. That message has stayed the same for the last 11 years. So that was one thing. It, it diffuses people and makes people feel like, okay, there's a human here, there's empathy here, right? But then once we started having success stories, and one of our earliest ones was fascinating. It was a composer, an unknown composer in Denmark, that got hired by a filmmaker in LA who had used the same composer for years, but the, he did a film noir. And Peter closer usually used didn't get it. Like he just wasn't connecting with it because it, it was different from what they had done previous like eight, nine films. So he just put a clip online and he said, score it and send me it. And if I like it, I'll send you more and we'll see. And this gentleman Denmark sent over his clips and they met over Zoom or back in those days, I guess it was Skype. And he hired him. And they you never got on a plane to meet him in L.A., never nothing. He just sent them the entire film and they scored it over online. Oh, wow. that, was a, that was proof positive of the idea that we believe that the world was going to get smaller and that physical filming doesn't mean that all post-production and for that matter, all pre-production needs to be in the spot that you're filming. In this world, it's more common that it's not anymore. Like it's not all being done in LA. It's not all being done in New York. It's being done everywhere. So once we started having those success stories roll in, and now at this point in our, in our cycle of, of life, I mean, we're tens of thousands of success stories in, that was the thing that really made the community, you could be as cynical as you want, but that's on you, right? Like like people will challenge and say, oh, how do you, they, they, like, and I just sit there and go, this is your problem. It's not ours. Here's the proof. And most people accept that and embrace that. And That's how we've kind of gotten to where we've gotten to. Certainly, it doesn't hurt that we spent a lot of time cultivating relationships. Like I said, we have the largest education library in the world. We have over 2,000 hours of film, television, and digital content education. It's by far the largest entertainment industry library in the world. It took us a long time to cultivate relationships with teachers of that caliber because they're all taught by people in the industry at the top level doing it right now. They didn't want to do it for us at the beginning and we knew that. We knew we had to prove ourselves. But as we proved ourselves to them and then they came on board and started teaching, then the production companies and the streamers and the studios started taking notice of that. And then they started coming on board in the marketplace part of things. And every single one of those that you bring on and every one you get to announce is more validation, right? It's more validation that what you're doing and what your your mission is being accepted by people that are at the highest level of the industry.
1: That is an unbelievable story, man. I love the concept of you really just focused on the results. Like we are going to create value for our community members and showing that, driving that. Maybe that's why I wasn't successful. We weren't showing the value enough or, or whatever it is. I'm going to go back and revisit that now. For those who are starting communities or, or thinking about it, what are some of like the real big pitfalls that aren't as obvious maybe when you're starting out, but you might say here's some guidance and advice for folks who might be thinking about something similar?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, we've had people that early on, we had a lot of people that came into our space to try to do what we we were doing to build a social platform. And one of them, I won't name the company, but it was a very well-known company, put 4 million into it and hired a bunch of C-level guys from Silicon Valley to come in and run it. But that was their problem. That was their pitfall. These were guys that understood how to run a tech platform, but they didn't understand how to run a community. They had nobody out in front of it. They had no messaging. They really had no mission in a lot of ways. We would look at it and say, okay, what's the purpose of this platform? So the pitfall that I see, not just in our business, but I get to teach all over and I I do get to teach business and talk to people who are trying to build communities or social platforms or whatever. The, The pitfall, when I ask the question, what's the mission? I sometimes get a very cloudy answer. When I ask them what's the value you're bringing to your people, I usually get a very muddled answer. If I ask them what the end game is, it's always about that's very clear because they know how they want to make money. They all know how they want to make money, okay? But it's like if you build it they will come doesn't work. It's you have to be able to show the community up front. First of all, you have to be transparent as hell, okay? You have to just be transparent as hell. This is what we're looking to do. This is what we hope to build. And here's how you could help us build it. I think it's very, very important. You give them ownership. You give them, you make them feel like they're a part of it. All right. I think the second part is, is that you got to make, you have to, you have to show, I keep saying it, but so true. You have to show empathy to the problem you're trying to solve in relationship to that human being. So for us, it was sort of like the empathy is, I live in Anchorage, Alaska, and I want to be a screenwriter, and I have nobody around me that has the same dream. So who do I talk to? How do I break in? How do I get anybody to even read my material that can really give me honest feedback and educated feedback? So we had to answer that. We had to say, look, this is global. It's open 24-7, 365, but you have to put in the work. The more you put in, the more you get out. That resonated with people. So I think the pitfalls are, I have a great, I think it's true of a lot of businesses, not just building a community. I have a great idea. This is how I'm going to monetize it. But I have no idea how I'm going to get customers. I have no idea how I'm going to get, like, there's no plan to get customers. There's no way to show, there's no strategy to showing those customers what the value is. And there's no patience. You got to realize we didn't drive a penny into this company, not one cent into this company. Until like, I think it was year three or four, might have been year four. And why? Because we had to build the community. We had to gain their trust. We had to show them the value. And we wanted education to be the first revenue driver. Okay. But we had to build relationships with the teachers that we want. We didn't want to bring in the guy that did it 20 years ago. We wanted to bring in the people that were doing it right now and not to tell. You know, part of my language, masturbatory stories like you see on a lot of these things today where they storytelling hour and you're paying a 100 bucks. And what are you getting out of it? We wanted people to come in and give real, true, actionable information right now. So it took a long time to build that. So we embraced the long game. We knew going into it from day one of launch that we might not drive a dime into this thing until year three or four. But we're going to break our asses, making those relationships so that we can do it and we can do it at a high level at that point, we have built enough trust with the community that when we launched education, they were like, "Of course, why wouldn't I take education here? like look at the value they're bringing so that those are some of the pitfalls and some of the ways that we sort of headed those off at the past i guess
1: so look rich like a lot of things things everything's built on trust, right now that you've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands, almost 900,000 members, part of stage 32 in this community. How do you think about the community experience now and making members feel like, Hey, I'm not in this like niche couple of hundred kind of people where we're all helping each other. We probably even know all you probably even know like so many of the people that were there right now it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands. How do you make people feel like I know, I know rich, Or Rich knows me, but we're going to help each other out. Like, how do you focus on that? Is there anything that you do differently just to focus on community experience? Make people feel like they're not part of a big platform, but really part of a a community that's there to help each other grow and evolve and develop?
0: I love this question. Yes. I mean, on so many levels, yes. I mean, for one... It's fascinating to have a platform of 900,000 people and, and realize how many, how many of the active people you really know because they're front and center and because they, they lay themselves bare, which is amazing. It does create this sense of a smaller community, even though it's gotten much larger. But we do put a huge and heavy emphasis, making sure that all of our employees are front facing. So if you get an email from somebody, exactly who that person is, because that person is active on the platform. And you get to know that person. We make it very important that all of our employees do some live events and whether they're Zoom town hall type meetings or whether they're smaller videos that we put on social media. Whatever it is, we want you to feel like you do know us. I put out so much content on social media, on Instagram and on Twitter. And and I do that. and I give away a lot for free. And I do that because... I want first of all I want to because again I think that my experiences if I can't share my experiences as a creative so there are days, for example, like today, I have you know, a meeting on one of my pilots. Probably when that's over, at least within the next few days, I'll be sharing what happened because I want people to know. I want people to know what's going on in the business, what this executive said to me, what they're looking for. So by making it very personal and by making yourself like you said, human and being trustworthy, we have been able to keep this, keep the feel of it as it's a very sort of small community when it is very very vast. And we, the other thing too is that we we celebrate. This is a big component, man. Bill. I, this is huge. I mean, it's we share our members' successes. So if somebody has a massive success, we're bellowing that out. That if we put up blogs where we highlight everybody's successes. Right now, we have this, one of our products is called the the Safe City Writers Room, which is a gigantic community of just screenwriters. In this particular part of the platform, obviously, the platform is for all creatives. But in that room, we have companies that have come to us that said, we need writers. Here are open writing assignments. They're coming to us looking for writers. And we've had like 10 or 12 that over the last two months since we've launched this thing that have moved on with big companies like Blumhouse and a ton of them, right? And we announced that and we celebrate that and we put that up and we rally the community to come in and say, congratulations. And what that does is not only lift everybody's spirits, but it makes everybody that hides in the shadows. And a lot of people do. Okay, a lot of people are afraid. They're introverted. They don't think they have any value to bring whatever. That makes them say, well, wait, I could do this too. And that, I think, with that, again, I think creates that sense of community. And we're always, so the reason I love that question is because every single thing we do really, quite frankly, starts with that thought. How does this benefit everyone? How do we make everybody feel inspiration? I always say my brand is inspirational, aspirational, motivational. So how does it fit into that? How does it fit into it? And we talk about it every day. I mean, without fail, no joke.
1: Very, and by the way, I love those three words, such a great descriptors of you as an individual and certainly for what you've built and and Thank continue to grow. Who do you look up to, Rich? And whether it's an industry or in your area of expertise or another, or is like, is there like one or two people that you really look up to? And my my last question for you also is, where do you go for inspiration?
0: Wow, those are two really, really good questions. It's funny. I don't know. It's like a romantic kind of thing, but I do look back at my grandparents all the time. Like they stay with me almost every day. My father, too, every day. Like I hear them. So that is the bigger, broader answer that where I find inspiration. There's a lot of people in the business. I wouldn't, there's a lot of people. I read, I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot of books. I come back to, there's certain books that I found to be so inspirational and that you kind of fall back on when you're sitting there going, it can't be done. One of them for sure is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the, the CEO of Nike. I mean, if you read this book, if you're an entrepreneur in any way, and by the way, if you're a creative and you're, you're listening to this, you are an entrepreneur, you should read this book anyway. I always say entrepreneur, I mean, creatives always ask me like, what screenwriting books should I read? What acting books should I read? What producer? And I'm always like, read business books because you literally are a business person. You are an entrepreneur. But if you, I, so I would recommend anybody listening to this, if you haven't already, to read Shoe Dog. Not only because business-wise, it's a masterclass, but life-wise and conquering and overcoming and your fears and I'm nobody and I'm a fraud and how can I compete against the big guys and all this crap that we all put on ourselves, this will make it all melt away. Like if you don't come out the other side of this book ready to run through a wall I don't know what you could read. I don't know who could talk to you. So you I. Probably I should, you
1: probably shouldn't be doing what you're doing, frankly. I've read that book. It's an unbelievable book. It's, so an
0: inspirational. book. It's, a ma- it's a life lesson masterclass, right? So I think that's one that I draw a ton of inspiration from. I think the other thing I would say is that, and, I, and this is going to sound really cliche, but it's totally not. And I just think, I know a lot of people that are like this and I, I'm sure you are as well, but it's, you have to inspire yourself every day. If you're not finding a way every morning, even if you had a massively bad day the day before, okay, you got to try to find the victories in it. Or at the very least, you have to wake up the next day and go, that was yesterday, okay, and this is a new day. I know that sounds cliched, but it really is a way to walk through life because otherwise, you're just going to let everything roll downhill on you. And I don't believe in that. I believe in you're constantly moving up the hill, you sidestep the shit, and you keep going and you learn. From everything that you've experienced, and if as long as you're in that mindset, I don't know how you don't inspire yourself every day to be the better, the best, to win the day. That and that's the other part that I would just say I'll impart this really, really quickly. But I do look at it that way. I do look at it that people set these massive goals that are so either the I wouldn't say any goals unrealistic, but the only way you get to those big goals is by setting micro goals. You have to be able to celebrate wins, right? So, what easier win to have than to feel like you've won every day? And if you can't, if you had one really bad day, then you look at it like, hey, over the course of the last seven days, I won six and I lost one.
1: That gets you to a championship game, right? That's a pretty good <laughs> batting average any day of the week. Yeah, yeah it gets you into the playoffs. <laughs> Rich, I've probably interviewed I'm probably coming up on actually I'm over a hundred interviews. You're the first person in a hundred that has said find inspiration in yourself. Which I think is a really one that's interesting. And I mean, I've I've talked to some really amazing individuals over the course of the last two, almost two years. It's that is one is a testament to you and like certainly what you've created and what you've developed. But like what profound advice. Man, I'm just like floored. I'm just floored. That's a great spot to end the show right there, man. This has really been an extremely interesting conversation. I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to connect, Rich. Love what you're doing on stage 32 and all the work and the effort that you and your and your folks have put into it. Clearly shows and you're doing something. So incredibly valuable for the community of creators out there. So one, thank you for that. But two, just thanks for like, just the inspirational comment for us to finish this show on, on just look within it's there. You just got to find it and just make sure it comes out every day.
0: Bill, I, I'm, I'm humbled by the comments. I'm humbled by all the kind words. I truly am. But I mean, I, I truly believe it. I believe at the end of the day, right. For our own, everybody's looking for champions elsewhere. And certainly we need to, to succeed in life. We do need, champions. You can't walk through it alone, business-wise or life-wise. But at the end of the day, you got to lie down with yourself and you're always going to be your own biggest champion. So I appreciate it and I'm glad that that hit home.
1: Oh man. All right, everybody. Great show this week. We'll see you in about a week's time. We're out. Thanks
0: for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at becustomerled.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out.